Hi there, this is Jeff Otis, Senior Wealth Consultant and Partner at Evergreen GovCal, and you're listening to Coffee with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoyed this 15-minute conversation between myself and our CEO, Tyler Hay. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, listener, this episode requires an extra disclosure. Jeff Otis is an employee and partner of Evergreen GovCal. All views and opinions expressed by Jeff and any guest of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. All right, Tyler, thanks for being here with us. I think your first coffee with Evergreen, uh, Evergreen CEO, Tyler Hay, and excited that you're joining us today. I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. I don't have a coffee in front of me, but thanks for having me. So I'm going to get you started off. Uh, yesterday, uh, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell spoke uh, spoke with the Senate Banking Committee on thought, you know his thoughts on inflation, uh, you know what kind of measures they're taking with rates, and let's start there. Kind of thoughts on on his testimony uh, and and what obviously you know markets are paying attention closely to what the Fed's doing, what the Fed's thinking, and so. Uh, thoughts on on what he had to talk about yesterday? Yeah, I think it's a it's a timely topic, and I think it's one that's not, you know, all that new. I mean, if you simply said for the last, you know, since the financial crisis in 2009, if you simply looked at one thing, and that was the Fed's balance sheet and and whether it's expanding or contracting, and as anybody that's been following this astutely would observe, is that it's been nothing but expanding, and so is the stock, you know, stock market and, and stock prices along with it. So I think it's right to be talking about um, Jerome Powell and his testimony yesterday. And yesterday, the market opened up weak, and then he started making you know, these assurances and, and providing dovish guidance, further guidance, similar to what he's been saying since he's been Fed chair, and the markets bounced nicely. And I think that's exactly the right thing to be looking at you know, sort of at first, right, which is what is Jerome Powell? What's the direction of the Fed going? And they have not wavered. It's been absolutely dovish, accommodative. And I think that really sets up for two sets of outcomes from, from my vantage point. Okay. So let's talk about those. Like, what, Where does the market head from here? What are the things that you're paying attention to? What should listeners be paying attention to? Well, we've been taught you know, in business school and econ 101, 201, whatever you want to call it, that you know, if you print enough money, you know, as the Federal Reserve or a, a central bank, you eventually are going to get inflation. And there are a lot of those people ringing those alarm bells. This is not a, you know, I'm not the first person to bring this up by any means. Yet at the same time, you have to ask yourself, well, why are they doing this, right? Why are they creating such accommodative policies? And the answer is to fuel economic growth. And so, so on one hand, people are saying, we need this because the economy is not growing that fast. And other people are saying, well, eventually you can overstimulate the economy and lead to inflation. And those are vastly different outcomes, right? If you don't have inflation and you, and you have what we've had for the last 10 years, you don't want to own bonds, you want to own equities, and that's an easy game plan. And then I think the flip side is if it does go the other direction um, and you do get inflation and you own a lot of bonds, especially longer duration bonds, you're going to get absolutely annihilated. And so that's an enormous swing factor in, in how we think as a firm and, and how anybody should be thinking about their investments. So that's certainly one of the topics that I think could break either way. And again, big difference in, in 
kind of the consequences depending on which of those occur. Yeah, and obviously I got to highlight, you know, as I'm interviewing Tyler here, like, you know, his opinion is his opinion. There, We have a committee uh, that serves here at Evergreen in terms of managing our portfolios, we, our investment committee, and there's some spirited debate, you know, daily on what people think and how people view. So for today, obviously, you know, I'm trying to get your take on what you see. So let's uh, – question I have for you. In your conversations with clients – what fears are you hearing from clients today and, you know, which fears do you think are legit and which fears are, uh, you know, not? Well, I think one of the fears that, that I'm hearing from clients is like, do we, are we, are we really going to be able to put COVID in the rear view mirror? Meaning, is this something where we get a vaccine and this was a period in our, in, you know, in history that we remember as, you know, spending maybe too much time with loved ones and all those types of things. Um, and, and social distancing and, and all the unpleasantness that's come with the pandemic? Or is this, you know, is this become like a flu season where, you know, where it, it flares up and, and sort of we go through phases of this, you know, kind of every year as, as, you know, whether the virus mutates or those types of things happen. So I think certainly people are trying to understand, you know, is COVID a, you know, is this the end of the chapter or, or is this, you know, kind of the middle of the book. And so that's one thing I hear. The other thing that I think is interesting is if you think about what types of companies prove most resilient during COVID, I think a lot of people would agree that tech companies really showed their resilience. You know, their their financials were, were stronger than most, their business models held up, their workforce was able to operate um, in a remote manner better than most types of companies. And yet sort of the they're starting to become they're starting to become talk of you know is the tech run over our tech companies you know whether it's the censorship stuff whether it's you know antitrust stuff coming up is is the is the run on tech over and i think that's a that's a really really key question um certainly it's had an unbelievable run especially you know when you look at the how well growth has performed to value and so I think people are wondering that, you know, do I still want to own as much, you know, do I want to have as much tech exposure as I used to? Which leads me to my next uh, question. I was going to ask you, what areas, you know, what areas do you think investors should be paying more attention to? Like what areas are kind of undiscovered, not getting the attention that you think it deserves that clients are over, or clients or investors are overlooking? Well, I'm going to go back to what I, what kind of my theme here, which is divergent outcomes. And I, I would comment, you know, in, in this post-COVID world, and, you know, you could opine if you want as well, Jeff, but, you know, what we've seen is a, is sort of a de-urbanization of, of America, right? There's been a push out of the urban areas into the suburbs. And I think that's a real, I mean, there are some real implications in terms of real estate, workforce, um, how people commute. I think there's, I think that's a big question, you know, is this a COVID trend or is this a permanent trend? So I think that that's kind of something that investors should certainly be watching. And then I also think one, another topic is, that's unfolding, and, and it's not, again, new, it's just accelerating. And that is, you know, the legalization that I think um, is only been accelerated by the recent presidential outcome in cannabis, as well as, you know, the legalization of gambling that's occurring on a state by state level at this moment. So I think those are two interesting trends. I mean, I, I'm aware they're they're controversial. Some people don't want to touch them, 
But I mean, they're what I think are inevitabilities at this point. And so I think that those are areas that if you know investors are looking to to find growth, I think those could be some areas that you know, depending on their preferences or um, view of those sectors. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna detour uh, a kind of off script here into a, a, something I'm specifically ask you as CEO and your kind of your view of the wealth management space, your command of the wealth management space, what you know about it. I don't always get get you here, so. For a listener, whether the listener is kind of independent expert, do it yourself, or a listener that actually works with a firm, whether it's ours or another, what are the things that you would tell an investor now in 2021 if they're going to work with a wealth management firm? Like what matters? What doesn't matter? What are the you know what are the things out there that you think people are getting kind of tricked on? Like any any thoughts on that? Just if you had a chance to hey, here's a minute or two of. If you're going to work with a firm, this is what I recommend. Sure. I think there's a, there's a bunch of things I'd say about that. The first thing I, I would, you know, that we see when we're, when we're reviewing prospective clients' accounts is most of the time there's, you know, just a litany of uh, – and just layer of layer and layer of, of fees, fees upon fees. And so I think that certainly anybody that's considering hiring someone should be able to clearly identify – you know, the total amount of fees that they're paying. And and so often we see someone come in and they, they tell us what they're paying. And, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, 80 or 90% of the time, they don't have the full picture. So that's one thing. Another thing I'd say is, are, you know, are the owners of the firm, you know, eating their own cooking? I mean, you might go to a, a stockbroker at another firm and he tells you this and tells you that, and you think you're getting good advice and you have no idea whether he's putting his own money alongside you. So I think that if you can find a firm that does that, like uh, many of the partners at Evergreen do, I think that that's a, certainly a peace of mind thing. And then I'd also say in terms of evaluating, you know, is the manager, you know, competent? Do they have good performance? I think that people tend to look back on time periods like, oh, maybe I'll look back a year or I'll look back three years. And and I think that the the best way to analyze any um, wealth manager is to be able to capture how they perform both in up markets and in down markets. So if you ask somebody, say pre pre you know COVID, how were their returns? I mean, the stock market went up for ten years. You know, if the returns are bad during that time, you know, I don't know what you're doing, right? And so I think that. You know, you if you can evaluate both how they do in bad times and how they do in good times, I think that that's probably the most critical component in terms of evaluating can they can they manage my money. I almost want to have a separate. I mean, while we're talking about this, I almost want to do a separate uh, podcast and just drill into this topic specifically. I think people would find it really fascinating. Your perspective on the space, what? And so, anyways, we'll circle back on that. I think that's really good as as kind of a quick overview. But I, I think we're going to do a one off on this uh, ahead. So, final question. I want to go backwards just on something you highlighted earlier in terms of the divergent outcomes here for the market: inflation, no inflation. Um, before I before we wrap up, why don't we talk about those two scenarios, whether inflation is a real risk or not, and how an investor should play that in either scenario? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. We haven't had meaningful inflation in you know something like 40 years, and so I don't think that there's a lot of people that have a playbook for that. I mean, a lot of managers probably weren't managing money then. We're lucky enough to have kind of a multi generational team, and so you know we have people that went through that environment and 
we are able to, you know, look at their playbook. And, and I think this is where for a long time, fixed income and, and buying bonds has been a really easy deal. You buy a bond, interest rates go down, you make money. That's basically been the trend for the last 30 years. If that trend reverses, you need to have a little bit, a little bit broader tool chest to draw on in terms of how you build your bond portfolios. And so there are there's a lot of things that you can do. You know, a simple one is you can shorten the duration of your bonds, but there's more complicated and, and more skillful ways to protect your fixed income assets against, you know, a rising rate environment. And we've, you know, we've been discussing that stuff, as you point out during our investment committee meetings, we've been building a game plan uh, around what to do in an inflationary environment. And then the flip side is, you know, I mean, and, and I'll just, I'll give you two other things I hear a lot of people talk about in terms of inflation. You know, I hear people say, well, if there's going to be inflation, I want to own cryptocurrency. I want to own Bitcoin or something. And, and I think that there's some truth to that. I mean, the whole sale of cryptocurrencies to, to the public is that there's a finite number of Bitcoins out there. And, and so I think that that has some appeal to people who are, who are looking for something that's, quote, anti-inflation. I think the flip side with Bitcoin is it's hard to transact in a currency that you go to buy, say, example, a Tesla, and the price of, your, of the currency that you're using is swinging so dramatically on a day-to-day -day basis. I think that that's the negative. So I think cryptocurrency could be a play, um, though I'm not endorsing it. And then I think things like hard assets, like real estate or you know maybe precious metals also could be hedges. And then there's some other things that you can do in terms of variable rate bonds to protect your portfolio. So I think that, you know, you better have a manager who has a plan for both outcomes. And so I'll, I'll just quickly touch on the deflationary outcome where you don't have inflation and rates remain extremely low for another, say, 10 years. You know, I think that people are scrambling to find yield in this world. And, and if you can't do it with, you know, traditional bonds, I think you have to look elsewhere. And so one of the things that we've done internally as a firm is we built a uh, dividend stock portfolio, um, high dividend stock portfolio that, that generates a nice yield and w would do well in, in that type of scenario, in our opinion. And the other thing that you can do, and some firms have this capability and others, others don't, is you can begin to, to participate in private credit markets. And, and there's much, much better yield if you're in private credit and there's no secret um, if you're in, you know, some type of private investment, you get less liquidity. But for, for our clients, that's an easy give up because we're not going to put all their money, all their um, fixed income or their, you know, their income um, seeking money in, into something that's private. We're going to allocate, you know, a reasonable portion so that if they did have some type of liquidity need, um, they can draw on the more liquid investments, but it can certainly enhance the yield that people are getting. And if you don't have a game plan for a low interest rate environment, it could be a tough 10 years. Yeah, I agree with that. Those are conversations we're having daily now. I mean, uh, I don't know if everyone is fully aware of that in terms of landscape ahead, but I think that's a really good point. Okay, we should wrap up. I'm, I got a bonus question for you, and then we'll finish up here. So bonus question for CEO Tyler Hay. I'm tempted to ask you what your favorite wine is, but I'm actually going to gonna go favorite golf course. So what's, what's your favorite golf course that you've ever played? Well, I should probably say Cypress Point, um, but I'm going to go with San Francisco Golf Club. It's, 
unbelievable. You walk in the men's locker room, there's still a, a phone booth in there. It feels like you're in a museum. It's, it's stuck in the time warp. It's like feel that like you're 120 years old. And it's amazing because from almost any hole on the course, you can see like seven other holes. It's like a giant arboretum in the middle of the city. It's pretty spectacular. Lucky to you play remember there. what you shot? I broke 80 once there. I've also been north of 80, but I'll talk about the below 80. There you go. All right, Tyler, hey, appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. We'll do it again.